An illegal voyage, slavery, and World War II. What do these things have in common? The life of Matilda McCreer, who saw them all. She died in 1940. The past isn't always as far away as we often think. Matilda McCreer was the final survivor of the Clotilda, the last slave ship to reach North America. McCreer, whose given name was Abaki, was captured with her mother and sisters when she was only two years old. They were taken to Alabama in 1860, long after slave importation had become illegal. Matilda never saw two of her sisters again, but she did see the Great Depression, and the world went to war twice before she died in 1940. There's so much pain and suffering in this world, but as C.S. Lewis reminds us, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus, and we're still in a series that we began two days ago called Grace Unshackled. Slavery is not an easy subject to talk about. It's a sad part of history, especially in North America. But when we look back, we see key figures, many of whom were Christians, who stood up against the trade and the practice. The last couple of days, we looked at the lives of John Newton and William Wilberforce, British men who spoke out against the selling of human beings. But today, we're going to hear the voice of someone who himself was stolen from Africa and forced into slavery. His name is Alado Equiano, and he too was changed by God's amazing grace. He has been uh, enslaved. He has uh, been able to purchase his own freedom. He's been able to work in the Merchant Marine. He talks about coming under conviction of sin. And the key verse for him is there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved, and it's Jesus Christ alone. And he turns to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's Dr. Bruce Heinmarsh. He's a Christian history professor at Regent College in Vancouver, and he'll be back to share with us more about this most interesting man who the Lord rescued from slavery, as well as his own sins, Alauda Equiano. And we'll hear how connected he was to the lives of William Wilberforce and John Newton. This is a great story that I know everyone will enjoy hearing. These kinds of true stories remind me of the stories I used to share with my kids when they were young. Stories of the faith, stories of Christians who did mighty things for God's glory. Everyone loves a good story that'll warm your heart, and that's why I want to share with you the special collection of radio dramas called Amazing Grace. Three separated productions on five CDs that you can enjoy one at a time. It's a cinema of the mind that ultimately points to our great hope in Jesus. The number to call after the program is 800 6 5-4-28-36. That's 865 Haven. Or visit us online and listen to samples from the radio drama. Our website is haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. And now we open the program with someone I was listening to earlier today in my car. Here's Matt Redman, and your grace finds me. It's there in the newborn cry. There in the light of every sunrise There in the shadows of this life 
Happened one day when all our people had gone out to the fields to work as usual, and only I and my dear sister were left to mind the house. Two men and a woman got over our walls and in a moment seized us both without giving us time to cry out or make resistance. They stopped our mouths and ran off with us, taking us far away. My sister and I were separated, causing me greater sorrow than I had ever imagined. 
At length, after many days of traveling and experiences, I arrived on the coast and the sea and a slave ship which was then riding at anchor and waiting for its cargo. These filled me with astonishment which was soon converted into terror when I was carried on board. I was now persuaded that I had gotten into a world of bad spirits and that these beings were going to kill me. Indeed, such were the horrors of my views and fears that when I looked round the ship and saw a multitude of black people of every description chained together, I no longer doubted my fate and was quite overpowered with horror and anguish. I fell motionless on the deck in a faint. You're listening to Haven Today in a program called Grace Unshackled, and that was an excerpt from the radio drama called Amazing Grace. Now let's go to Vancouver, British Columbia, and let's catch up with Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh. He's a professor at Regent College in Vancouver. He also happens to be the world's leading scholar on the life of John Newton. Bruce, I'm happy you can join me here on the program. We're talking this week about your hero, John Newton, and his friend William Wilberforce. Their stories are intertwined, but so is the former African slave that we're thinking about today. You want to say his name again for me? Olauda Equiano, or uh, Gustavus Vasa, as he was at one point renamed. And there's different ways we could see their lives intertwining. Um, this, um, I mean, the brutality of the slave trade in this period, in the year, let's say, 1770, there's probably 100,000 um, slaves in, you know, being um, enslaved in Africa, kidnapped in Africa, being taken across the Atlantic as a part of the British slave trade. The whole economy is kind of, is woven into this. And so this is just a part of what's going on. Um, the uh, These three figures, we could talk about, John Newton, the converted slave trader, later abolitionist. We could talk about William Wilberforce, leading abolitionist. But Olaudo Equiano joins them in sort of around 1785, and he will be have a key role. And, and it's important, people are remembering more and more now, African agency. It isn't just the white sort of Brits that accomplish abolition, but there's very much a role for a number of these um, sort of African, Afro-British um, figures um, who play a key role, and no one more so than Equiano. He's actually the one, and I think it's 1788, who presents the petition to Queen Charlotte, the wife of King George III, for abolition, seeking to abolish the slave trade. He um, he was born in 1745-ish, uh, Nigeria, uh, that area of Africa, by about 11 years of age. He um, He's kidnapped. He is taken to, I think it's Jamaica and then Virginia. And for about a decade, he will be a slave, um, enslaved with different masters, mostly in the Merchant Marine and the Navy. So he's spending a lot of time at sea during the Seven Years' War as a slave of people in the, um, you know, at sea. Um, he saves some money and uh, on the side and is able to purchase his own um, release from slavery in 1766. And, uh, but then he sort of continues. Uh, I mean, he sees the world. He saw the world more than anybody else in terms of, in this period, in terms of travels. And he ends up, he's in the Mediterranean, he's in the Arctic, he's in Central America, and he is working in the Merchant Marine. 
It's uh, 1776, around the time of the um, the War of Independence. He is um, uh, settling down more in London. He'll make a couple other trips, but he's he's going to settle back in London, where the, the a judgment had been made, the Somerset judgment, that allowed... Um, when people were uh, formerly enslaved, people are in the way it was widely interpreted is once you set foot in Britain, you're free. And so it became a place where he felt like he could he could be. All right. Somewhere in this man's life, he had a Christian encounter that led to him becoming a follower of Jesus. And I assume he was involved in tribal religion or something as a as a kid growing up. So so let's put that into the mix as well. Sure. Well, um, all three of these figures have a conversion narrative, a conversion story. That's part of what unites them. And um, for uh, Equiano, he talks about African religion, talks about his sort of, you know, growing up in Africa. And um, but it's in 1774. He um, he has been uh, enslaved. He is uh, uh, he has been able to purchase his own freedom. He's been able to work in the Merchant Marine. But in and around London, just prior to getting on board a ship, um, he um, he talks about, in, in ways that would be very much like John Newton, William Wilberforce, about coming under conviction of sin, about uh, 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 trying to figure out what religion is right. Is it Roman Catholicism? Is it Judaism? Is it, what is it? And he decided he would try to find whatever religion seemed most like the four Gospels, <laughs> most like the four Gospel writers. And he prayed that he'd meet somebody who would help him. And uh, it's interesting how alone he felt, relative, relatively speaking, on this quest. And he meets some sort of godly uh, dissenters. And he'd been baptized as a you know young man in the Church of England, and he had that sort of sense, that sort of prejudice against anything that's not Church of England. But he goes along to um, what he calls a love feast. It's about four hours long, and it's this service where people are giving testimonies. And I don't know whether this is like the Moravians or some other group, because um, that language, the Methodists would have love feasts, but he hears testimonies. And it kind of awakens his spiritual interest. And he becomes intrigued with the idea that you can know your sins forgiven. And he, he thought, he said, when people would ask him, he would say, I keep eight out of the Ten Commandments. I've got eight of them down, but the one on blasphemy and the Sabbath, when I'm out at sea, those are tough ones, you know? And so, so like so many other um, people in this period, uh, evangelicals, they talk about one of the keys to being awakened spiritually is something that they call the spirituality of the law. Now, it's interesting. The word spirituality doesn't get used very much in this period. We use it all the time today. What did they mean by that? They meant the law is not just about outward observance or or some kind of propriety, but it actually penetrates right to your heart. And so people tried to tell him, you know, a few people said, you know, the law is actually, it's about your heart. It's about your heart before God. And, and you know, passages that would talk about if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of breaking them all, you know. the. Uh, and so he came under more of a conviction. And he's aware that it's possible, he's hearing from people, it's possible to know your sins are forgiven. He ends up, he was going to be going to Turkey, that didn't work out. He ends up on a, a ship in going to Spain and he just um, has uh, he has a dream. He has, but he 
he comes to a breakthrough in a sense that his sins were forgiven. And it's a, you know, he, it, the key verse for him is there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And it's Jesus Christ alone. And he turns to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. I think this is chapter 10 of a narrative he wrote in 1789 called An Interesting Narrative in the Life of um, Gustavus Vasa. But he tells the story, and it's very clear the way he tells the story that he found a personal faith in Christ and that this changed him. Alauda? My love. You're home earlier than I expected. Our meeting was ended abruptly. The advocates of slavery walked out. Oh. Did you speak? I did. Do you believe it will make a difference to our cause? It will make a difference. Perhaps not tomorrow or the day after, or the year after that, or a decade after that. Yet, it will make a difference, as the truth always makes a difference, even in a world of lies. Our God is just, and will use the efforts of just men to prevail. This is Hayden Today in a program called Grace Unshackled, and that was an excerpt from the radio drama called Amazing Grace. The actor who portrays Aquiano is compelling, and as you heard, the story is quite moving. We're talking with Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh. Bruce, Aquiano meets Jesus, and that changes his life and gives him more reason to stand up against the slave trade. A similar thing happened to William Wilberforce, didn't it? It's a different story. It's a different narrative. But he also comes to a personal faith in Christ, has an agony of conversion. He is the total contrast to Equiano. He is wealthy. He is privileged. He, at 21, he's a member of parliament for Hull. He'll be a member of parliament for 45 years. He goes to Cambridge. It's a very privileged background. But in um, 1785, he's kind of doing the grand tour. So, I mean, what a contrast, right? The grand tour of, uh, of Europe. He's with uh, somebody from Cambridge named Isaac Milner, who is a believer and has a real faith in Christ. And he's kind of reading Philip Doddridge's um, The Rise and Progress of Religion and the Soul and the Bible, talking to Isaac Milner. His heart is open, and he goes through the agony of personal conversion. It's a different story, but it's the same dynamic of realizing that before God, who can stand? We need Christ to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. But the dilemma for Wilberforce is um, it's, there aren't that many people in his station of life who are real, um, who, who are willing to identify with this growing movement of awakened Christians, who are awakened, serious Christians. And he felt like, if I'm going to be a serious Christian, maybe that means I have to leave politics. And William Pitt, um, the uh, prime minister, his old friend from Cambridge, is going, you can't leave politics. And so who is he going to talk to? Well, he goes, and uh, he's maybe 26 years of age, and old John Newton is about 60 years of age, and, uh, and he goes out to the kind of suburbs in London to, um, well, maybe not that far out of London, but he goes to Newton's house. And uh, he knew about Newton from his childhood. There was a sort of connection in his childhood. And he goes, but he's so afraid of being seen with this reputed Methodist, this uh, overly zealous Christian, that he kind of walks around the block a couple times, makes sure nobody is looking before he goes in to, to visit with Newton. And, uh, and Newton becomes, I think we would say today, a kind of spiritual director for him. 
and Newton encourages him to stay stay in politics. This is a place where he could do good. And uh, Wilberforce's diaries are being worked on right now. There's scholars um, going to produce a, a magnificent edition of Wilberforce's diaries. But if you read his diaries, you can see him working through what his conversion means. And he he felt like, I want to do near the throne in politics what Wesley did in the church. And he comes to this real sense that out of this deeply personal, meaningful faith in Christ, he wants to see something very specifically done. He wants to see the end of the slave trade. This is going to be his great object in life, the end of the slave trade, and what he calls the reformation of manners, which means he wants to see a genuine moral and spiritual reformation. And he will write what is like, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, you know, Mere Christianity, that had a huge impact in the last century. He writes the equivalent. He writes um, a book called Real Christianity. But this is like around 1785. This is when people are starting to come to the consciousness that there is something desperately wrong about the slave trade. The Quakers were aware of this early, but other people are starting to realize, and Wilberforce starts to realize. And so things happen very rapidly. Equiano is back in London, and he's connecting with these people, with the, the Quakers he had met, and with uh, people forming committees for the suppression of the slave trade. Uh, Wilberforce is organizing, uh, and people will begin to write John Newton's going to write from his own experience because he had seen the slave trade firsthand. He'll write against the slave trade. Equiano will will um, introduce this petition. He will write his own narrative, and Wilberforce will begin bringing um, bills in Parliament to see the abolition of the slave trade. It won't be until the year of John Newton's death in 1807 that they finally succeed, and this is after Equiano. This is 10 years after Aquiano's death. It's a long process, but they keep at it and they keep at it. And because of Aquiano, um, he would go around the country with Clarkson uh, showing people goods from Africa that could be used to produce an alternative economy to the slave trade. And he, like he, he got in, he was involved on the ground, he wrote, he petitioned, and he had a key role. John Newton had a key role, and Wilberforce was just an amazing force. And so isn't it wonderful to see these three people who came to a deeply personal, meaningful relationship in Christ that were aware that they needed Christ to do for them what they could not do. They needed to be forgiven. But then out of that came not just some kind of sectarian withdrawal, but they all worked for the good of their society.
Judy Collins. Can you believe it? I was just a kid when she sang Amazing Grace. Then it was a hit then, and it's still a hit today. And the words are what count. This is Haven Today in a program called Grace Unshackled. I'm so thankful that we could spend time with Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh today as he shared the story of Equiano, Newton, and Wilberforce. Don't you just love good stories? And when they're about people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel, it can't get any better. And as I said, these kinds of stories remind me of the ones I used to share with my children when they were little. There was nothing like sharing a great story about a person of faith with them. And that's why I want to share these three great stories that are all found in the Amazing Grace radio drama. Each story is a couple of hours long, but the time will pass quickly as this cinema of the mind captures your imagination like it has mine. This is grace-filled entertainment that we all need more of in our lives today. Our number to call right now is 800 6 Let me give you that number again, just so you have it. 800-65-HAVEN. Or go to our website, listen to samples from this five-hour-long radio drama, and you can make your gift there. Our web address is haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks so much for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow? But again, we get to share together the great story that's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Who's in charge here? That can be a tough question to answer at times. I remember working a job when I was younger where it was difficult to know who was in charge. I had a boss but he didn't really leave. And that led to one problem after another. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Few things can cause it all to come crashing down like a lack of leadership. After all, someone needs to be in charge. And the best case scenario is that someone good, wise, and just is in charge. Thankfully, we know that the Lord rules over all things. As the psalmist says, the Lord Most High is awesome, the great king over all the earth. There is no better great king. And if we believe in Jesus, this king is also our father. Try out Anchor Devotional today in print. Visit GetAnchor.com.